So we are, we are back to Joseph's life again. Um, initially, I was thinking about, you know, going through the entire Genesis 47 in one sermon, but that's too ambitious on my part because as I was studying the 12 verses, there's just so many to unpack, all right? Um, I think one of the things that I'm always mindful of when I prepare sermons is that I want to give you a better idea of what a Christian life looks like than the image of the Christian life that you're used to. Right? Ever since we were kids, we have a certain image of what a Christian life is supposed to look like. But I want to give you a new perspective on what the Christian life is supposed to look like. For example, if I say, in your mind, what does a mature Christian look like? You will say the mature Christian right, is a man, of, a man or woman of discipline, the man or woman of holiness. They say no to the things of the world. Right? They say no to the things of the world, and they are in their Bibles, and they pray all the time. They're like joyless, serious, right, kind of people. Maybe you've known such people when you were growing up in the church days. You know, like every youth group has those holy rollers, and maybe that's your definition of a Christian, of a mature Christian. But the Bible's definition of a mature Christian, it's not joyless, stern, serious kind of living. Yes, spiritual discipline is important. Yes, fighting sins is important. But that's not the first picture of what a Christian should look like. The picture that a Christian looked like an undeniable quality that all Christians should possess is joy. It's joy. They shouldn't be more than anything else. They should be happy, joyous, good-natured, positive people. The picture of a fundamentalist preacher that the world has, that the world hates, Bible thumping, right? There is, in my opinion, time and place for such men that is needed in the kingdom of God. Yes, that's true. But that is one example of a type of person. But generally speaking, Christians should be a people of joy. James chapter 1, consider it pure joy when you face various kinds of trials. James says, no matter what trouble you face, consider it pure joy. Paul says, I take pride and I thank God for the weaknesses in my life. I praise God when I'm beaten up, when I'm pushed to the limits. I praise God, Paul says. What do these mean? Why? Why can these verses show, these two verses show, right, that joy is possible even in the midst of the most horrendous situation. How is that possible? Joy is possible because when God's faith shines upon you, when God reveals his face to you, 
when you see clearly the face of God and know who he is, the most natural response is joy. It is. Joy, according to the biblical definition of joy, is a feeling of good pleasure and happiness that is dependent upon who Jesus is rather than on on who we are or what is happening or what we have. Joy is tied to our understanding of our position in Jesus Christ. And this position of Jesus Christ is the primary way that we see ourselves. In Christ, we are forgiven. In Christ, God lifts us up. In Christ, we are people of high honor and esteem. In Christ, we are forgiven, highly regarded, highly important, highly esteemed people. We are cherished among all other people. God himself is our father. Christian, how can this knowledge not lead you to joy? Joy, my friends, joy. The Christian definition of God's blessing is when God shines his face upon you. Your heart will be filled with joy. Is that is joy the natural disposition of your heart? Do you have this constant state of joy? Guys, do you? Independent look, life is hard. Paul even says life is very hard. James says various trials are coming after you on a daily basis. That's all true. But even in the midst of those trials, when God shines his face upon you on a daily basis, your heart will be filled with happiness and delight. And that's true. Do you have joy? Do you have joy? Right? These 12 verses, I think, shows glimpses of why some of the elements of why Christians should feel joy when they're in the presence of God. It may not be directly there, but if you meditate upon these verses, verse by verse, you'll see the elements of why Christians should be filled with joy when God shines his face upon them. Let's go. So remember Genesis chapter 46 is a great reunion between Joseph and Jacob. They were separated for 22 years. Father and son were separated for 22 years. They now finally unite. At the end of chapter 46, Joseph is telling his brothers and his father, I'm going to present you to Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh asks you what you do for your living, you should tell him that you're a shepherd. So, And at the end of Genesis 46, Joseph is preparing his brothers to meet the king. It makes sense, right? Remember Pharaoh, when he heard that Joseph Joseph found his brothers, Pharaoh told Joseph to tell his brothers, I'm going to give your family the best of the land. Pharaoh told Joseph to tell his brothers that. 
based upon that promise, all of Joseph's household, all of Jacob's household came up to Goshen, to Egypt, in particular to Goshen, right? So they're there. Koreans know this. What do you do when you first arrive in someone's house? What do you do, Koreans? When, you're, when, you, when you go visit your friend's house, you first have to give your respects to the owner of that house, right? right? I don't know about how other people do it, right? right? But in Korean, in Korean culture, you say, and you have to say, you have to give your respect to the owner of the house. Similarly, even though Pharaoh has promised Joseph and his brothers the best of the land, when they finally arrive in Egypt, they have to give their respects to the king, right? That's the proper thing to do. So Joseph first takes five of his brothers and he presents the five brothers to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asks the brothers, what do you do? What is your occupation? What do you do for a living? This, this was his answer. They said, verse 4, verse 3, your servant are shepherds as our fathers were. So when Pharaoh asked them, what do you do? They said, we're shepherds in the tradition of our, of our grandfathers. My grandfather was a shepherd. My father was a shepherd. We're a shepherd. We're a family of shepherds. The brothers had a clear idea they knew they have a clear idea of who they were, what they do, what they what they do for a living in this world. Second thing that they said is, "We have come to sojourn in the land." What is the word? What is the meaning of sojourning? Sojourning is dwelling in a certain place on a temporary basis. These guys are saying, "We have come here." on a temporary basis because there is no food for our flocks to eat in Canaan because of the famine. So they're saying, we're here temporarily, king, to take, right, because of the famine. But our intent, implicit is, we're going back because our home belongs somewhere else. The reason why they told Pharaoh that they were sojourners is to disclose the intent Look, Goshen, as wonderful as it is, is not our home. Our home lies in the land of Canaan. Because that's where God has given, that land God has given to our fathers. If you actually meditate and think about it, the clarity of Joseph's brother's position, they knew what they, who they were, and they knew where their home was. Those are the elements that gives a Christian, a person of God, joy. In God, you know, you begin to see who you are and what your purpose is. In God, you know what God has called you to do in this short life. The biggest difference between Catholics, one of the biggest theological, theological differences 
between the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church in the Middle Ages is that Catholics, Catholics believed that the holy calling of God was only reserved for the priest. They believed that God only called the priest. But Protestants believe God not only calls the priest for his vocation, he calls everyone for their vocation. The more that you are, the more God shines his face upon you, you know exactly what you're about, what you're called to do. It's true. You may not know what God has called you to do five years from now, but when you walk with God on a daily basis, as Joseph's brothers were clear in their occupation as shepherds, when you walk with God on a daily basis, you have a clear understanding of what God has called you to do on a daily basis. And that certainty of understanding of God's calling gives you purpose and meaning, and that purpose and meaning gives your heart joy. It's a strange thing, but, it, but it, knowing what you are about, knowing what your life is about, is a, that certainty is a source of joy. Remember when you were a kid? When I was a kid, I was terrified because I had no idea what I was going to be. When I was in college, I would lose sleep because I was an economics major. What do economics major do? It sounds cool, but it's very nebulous, that major. I have no idea what economics major do. Sean Stark majored in engineering, so he knew exactly what he's going to do after graduation. There's only one path that Sean Stark can go, right? He can build ships, and that's it, right? I was economic psychology major. What do I do with an economic psychology degree? I had no idea. I was scared to death. I was anxious. Now I'm the opposite. Having walking with God, I know exactly what I'm called to do. And that understanding of my calling gives me, keeps me grounded when the stresses of life come. Look, I was reading an article in Fortune magazine, because, you know, you got to read Fortune magazine, right? One of my favorite magazines, yo, Fortune magazine. Fortune magazine says, they took us, so they said, what does, what do Bill Gates, you know, Zuckerberg, Steve Jobs, and Elon Musk have in common? Right, what, what do those four men have in common besides antisocial skills, Right? What those four men have in common is they had a clear vision of what they want to do. These four men had a clear vision of what they want to do. And regardless of what would happen in their business, I think Elon Musk went bankrupt a couple of times. Regardless of what the media says, regardless of what stress that comes their way, because these four men had a clear understanding of what they are called to do, they could wither their trials. And I go, amen, Fortune magazine. The way that you find joy and wither any type of trials in your life is for you to have a certainty of understanding of who you are and what God has called you to do. 
And that's possible when you daily walk with him. Look, some of you are data scientists, right? Some of you are working for the army. Some of you are working for insurance firms. God bless you. Some of you are working for defense contractors. God bless them. We need all of them, right? What am I trying to say? Those are all great jobs. But within the calling of those jobs, God has called you for specific purpose. God has placed you in those jobs for a reason. When you discover those, that calling in those jobs, you can weather the stress of that job. Do you understand? I wanted to get out of my firm for the last four years. I wanted, my, I wanted out so badly. PJ, what's your prayer request? I want another job, that I said. But now that I see, as I walk with him, there is a daily reason why he wants me to be there. I, was, I, was, I went to a small group on Friday. I went to Arlington one, right? And that was, a, what a, that was a magical small group time. Like, all small groups are magical. And I was, like, talking with, with I was talking with, what was her name, Heather? Heather and I, we have similar jobs, right? We're like, we're like middle management, upper middle management, where we, we, we manage our subordinates and we have direct client, direct client like communication, and we answer to our partners. And the thing, stinky thing about this position is, if your subordinates mess up, you get blamed. If your clients compared to your partners, your partners throw you under the bus. It's weird. That's, that's, that's just my life. When, the, when my subordinates fight, I got to manage it so that, you know, someone reported uh, the other day, someone reported another subordinate, right? And I got to, like, make nice with them. So it's, it's a very complex job. But the only thing that sustains me and the thing that gives me joy in my job is what Heather told, Heather said. Heather said, we are servants of everyone in our position. And I say, that's true. In our positions, I get to serve my clients, my firm, my partners, my paralegals. I am a person of service. And God has placed me in the, person of, in the position of service in that firm, in this time. That's my calling in life, to be the servant in that firm. And that understanding gives me such joy in my job. It's crazy, but that understanding of God's placement in my life gives me joy. You need, in order for you to have joy in your job, you need to walk with the Lord and ask the Lord exactly why you have placed me there. And God is going to give you insight. And when he does, you'll find fulfillment in your work. There's a joy that comes with the certainty of knowing what God, why, why God has placed you in a particular place. It is like that with your marriage too. God has placed you in your marriage 
so that you can be the person for your spouse. There is no one in the world who can be the person for your spouse. God has designed me because I'm the only one who can love my wife as Christ loved the church. And my wife is the only person in the world who can respect me as I desire to be respected. And that understanding of my call makes me humble and dependent and more loving than I can ever possibly do on my own when I understand that calling of God in my life. Sometimes your spouse does things that drives you crazy, but the, old, but the secret of forgiveness and patience and to be with her through thin and thick and thin is a certainty of the understanding that God has placed me in this world to be her husband. That understanding gives me joy in my marriage. Why, do we, why are we so stressed out about our marriages, about our jobs, about our church, whatever? What, why? It's because you lack the clear understanding of God's calling in your life. Yesterday, I went homecoming dress shopping with my daughter. Holy moly, it's a whole new world. I had no idea. It was crazy chaotic and I was the only dad who was picking out dresses for my daughter thank God for boys so I I was there and it's boys like sons because I had not when Caleb and homecoming I said here's my suit jacket here's my tie wear it you go okay that's how we went oh man so daughters I got the understanding of how different men and women are. So you go there. My daughter picked the dress. The dresses aren't arranged in it like any like logical order. They're or- arranged, Sean, they're arranged in colors. But every color is a little bit different, right? It's maddening. So my daughter wanted this dress, and she says, it's too big, so I got to go find a smaller size. Can you find a smaller size in that area? No, you can't. That, that's, oh, that's how girls' mind work sometimes. It's not like, there's a separate logic that I'm not used to. There's a separate perception that I'm not used to. And sometimes my daughter is very sad because Puberty makes daughters sad. And there's nothing that I can do to encourage my daughter. There's nothing. Boys, men, when you have daughters, there's nothing in your arsenal that can make your daughter feel happy when she's sad. I'm telling you, there isn't. But I realized there's no one in the world that God has placed me at. There's no, I am her only father in this world. And even though I may not have the answers, I have to listen to her and walk with her. And even though I can offer her no solution, I need to walk with her. Because my calling is to be her dad. That certainty of my position 
makes me endure the sad part of my daughter's life. When you're in Christ, that certainty of your position, what God has called you, will give you joy. The second source of joy that, that Jacob's, Joseph's brothers told the, tells Pharaoh is the brothers knew they were just sojourners. The Goshen, as great as it was, is just a temporary place. A big part of Christian joy is understanding that this world, as great as it is, is not our permanent home. There is a better home waiting for us. When God shines his face upon you, he makes you understand that ultimately you're meant for another world and that world is coming. The certainty of that world gives you joy in the midst of trials. Paul says, I consider my present suffering Nothing compared to the glory that is waiting for me. Paul lived a hard life, got beaten, stranded, stoned, imprisoned. He says, all that is nothing compared to the glory that is waiting for me. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 to 16, it says, Abraham left everything, right? God says, because God said, I will make you a father of many, a great nation. So Abraham left his father's household based upon that promise. Abraham died before he could see that happen. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 says, Abraham died in faith because even though when he died, he didn't see his, his children becoming a great nation. He knew for certainty that God was going to deliver on his promise. And one day, Abraham was going to see, even, even after his death, Abraham was going to see the great nation that God will build through his children. Abraham could die joyfully because of the certainty of the new world to come. This world is messy. This world is hard. It really is. But the way you find joy in this world is a certain hope that the new world is coming. Understanding that gives you the ability to joyfully endure whatever suffering that you're going through. Christians have joy because Christians experience life that God gives. And you see that when in verses 7, right, verse 7. In verse 7, Joseph brings, after Joseph brings in his brothers, then Joseph brings his father Jacob before Pharaoh. Okay? Jacob is a 130-year-old man. Now, he's being brought before Pharaoh, the most powerful 
wealthiest man in the world. This old man, right? I don't know what I'm going to look like when I'm 130. Hopefully this, like, like this, right? That'd be great, right? But he's a 130-year-old man, this frail man before a young king. This old man blesses the king who has everything. Isn't it weird? Blessings are usually given from people who have something to someone who doesn't have something, right? It's, it's a river flowing down, right? Blessings are given to a guy who had it, to a guy who don't have it, right? Who doesn't have it. But this is the opposite. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. What does this mean? What is the blessing that Jacob gives to Pharaoh? Now we're on the theological part of our journey. Don't fall asleep. Hold on tight. So in order to, uh, for us to understand the significance of, of Jacob blessing Pharaoh is, is that we need to understand biblically what blessing means. Because in the Old Testament, there's a lot of blessings going on. What does this blessing actually mean? In the Old Testament, blessing is associated with God's living, God granting, life-giving power to his creatures. God giving life. Blessings of God associated with his life-giving power. For example, when he made the creatures of the land, animals of the land, he blesses them by saying, be fruitful and multiply. You see where I'm going with this? God's blessing to the animals is saying, animals, be fruitful and multiply. means have more baby cows or baby animals so that life can multiply in this world. God's blessing is directly associated with his life-giving power. Okay, are we clear so far? So far, so fun? When he blesses Adam and Eve, he blesses them two ways. Number one, he blesses them by saying, be fruitful and multiply. Once again, have, when God blesses man, he says, men, fill this earth with living people and have by having many, many babies. But he also tells man, rule over creation, which means take care of these creatures and creation so that through your stewardship, life will become more abundant in the world. So when God says to man, be fruitful and multiply, he's saying, you know, fill this earth with life, with human life, and also manage creation so that creation will also have abundant life in the world. So the blessings of God is always associated with God's living, God giving life to people and creatures. Are we clear? Whew, okay. But the curse of sin, but I'm sorry, before the curse of sin, but life is always tied to God, right? In order for things to have life, you need to be connected to God because he is the engine of life. 
if, if life is a tree, God is the root. He is the nutrient. He is the energy that powers all life. Are we clear? When you are connected to God, life flows abundantly. When you are disconnected with God, death follows. Right? Adam's rebellion is they believed that they didn't need God to have life in the world. They thought that they didn't need God's life-giving energy to live abundantly in the world. And because they sever their ties or try to sever their ties with God, the result is death. The creation fell, death into the picture. The, the land became coarse and hard to farm, right? Death, moral, spiritual, physical death enter the world. How do you know moral death? And that's spiritual, moral, spiritual, uh, moral, spiritual, physical death entering the world is, is clearly dist- exact. Uh, clearly shown in Cain's murder of Abel, right? Because men and women cut their life from God, there is moral decay within Cain, which caused murder and death to Abel. Are we clear so far? God is a connector of God's blessing is his life-giving power, that only can only happen when you're connected with him. Being severed with him, it results in death. God says the result of Adam's rebellion is death to everything and everyone in the world. But God in his mercy wants to bless creation with life again. Right? And he blesses creation with life again through Abraham's descendants. Are we clear? All right, good. Because it is when God says, Abraham, your nation, your children will be a blessing in the world. He means it is through your children the world will be blessed with life again. Okay? Right. Back to Joseph. Back to Jacob. When Jacob was blessing Pharaoh... He's telling Pharaoh, I pray that God will provide his life-generating power within you and life-giving power to your family. That's what he's saying. Look, Pharaoh is a rich man. He's the wealthiest man in the world. He has made ships solely to Travel the ends of the earth to bring back treasures for him. He had a navy devoted to going to, going to the ends of the earth, bringing back treasures for him. If Sean Stark lived 5,000 years ago, his engineering job will be related to making ships so that those ships can travel to bring back treasures for Pharaoh, right? That's how rich he was. His palace was decked out in bling, bling, bling as the rappers would say, right? Just gold galore. 
What does he have that he does not have? You know what he has that, that he, doesn't, he doesn't have life. That's what Jacob is, Joseph, Jacob is saying. You may have all the wealth of the world, but you don't have true life. By blessing Pharaoh, Jacob is saying, may God give you the true life that you do not have right now. Not all the wealth of your palace, and all the, not all the wealth of your power, you, have, you don't have life. I pray God would give you life. That's what, that's what Jacob is blessing Pharaoh with. Are we clear so far? All right. I'm proud of you. That life that Jacob prays to Pharaoh for is the same life that Jesus Christ has come to give to his people. God tells Abraham's physical descendants, the Israelites, if you remain in me by obeying my law, you will have life and prosperity. But if you move away from me and my law, you will have deterioration and destruction. That's what Deuteronomy is about. But the Israelites, like all of us, Rather than choosing to remain in God, they chose to remain outside of God. That is why their nation started to morally decay, and that is why the Babylonian Empire destroyed them. God tells us to remain with him, and he will give, give us life. But our nature says no. What does God do with people who say no? He sends us his son. God says, if you don't remain in me, I will curse you with destruction and death. In order to bless us, the destruction and death that we naturally would deserve for choosing to separate us from God, that destruction and death fell on Christ on the cross. Because that destruction and death fell on Christ on the cross, God is able to bless us with life, even though we don't deserve it. This is really deeply theologically complicated stuff. Christ has given us, Christ has come to give us true life. And the only way that he can bless us with true life is for us, for him to take upon himself the destruction and death that we deserve. And those of us who knows this, those of us who believe in Christ, God gives spiritual life. The great benefit of being in Jesus Christ is that if you truly believe in him, God blesses your spiritual life. The thing about your internal reality that is decaying, he turns it around and he starts to make you fruitful. 
Right now, if you go to my lawn, it's yellow because I didn't water it very much. But I know when spring comes, because I paid true greens to seed my, seed my lawn, when I water my, my lawn, life is going to stem again. Things are dead now. But I know in spring, it'll come back alive. There are things about you that are dead. Morally, relationally, mentally, that are dead. But in Christ, he makes you alive. He gives you a new mind. He gives you a new perspective. He gives you new loves. He gives you a new sense of you. When that happens, you will start to bear fruit in your life. Everyone understand? What Jesus Christ is interested in doing to you is to give you life, to give you a new mind, new perspective. New attitudes, new desires, new, 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 new understanding of yourself, new understanding about your job, new understanding about the church, new understanding about him, new understanding about yourself, new, new, new. He is interested in giving you life. What Pastor Rudin preached about, Ezekiel 37. Valley of dry bones. The vision is there are valley of dry bones. And these dry bones symbolized religious Jews who had no life in them because even though they were externally religious, they had no love of God and they had no life of God in them. Even though they were externally compliant with religious rituals, internally they had no religious life. But God says, I will breathe my word in them and they will live. That's the vision that God has given you. When he breathes his word in you, you will have life. Guys, that is what I'm interested in. I'm not really interested in making our church teeming with people. We have to evangelize, that's true. I'm not really interested in the, my, my, my focus is not on the numbers of people that gathered here. As much as God giving the members of our church life. What good is a church of a hundred if there's only a hundred dry bones in the congregation? What good is a church of a thousand if there's no life in any of them. What good is your religion if there is no life in you? Is there life in you? Is God giving you a new mind, a new affection, a new, new love, new attitude, new desires, new perspective about sin? Is he giving you new life? 
He will do this. That's what Christ has come. He will do this. He, will, he came to give you life. In Christ, when you're connected with Christ, you will have life. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you're connected to me by connecting to my word, you will bear much fruit. And that's true. Are you connected to the vine? God is not interested in mindless religious rich observances of rituals. Life. Life has come to give. Do you have it? If not, ask for it. Christians have joy because we have new life. I'm not the man that I was. I'm not the man that I was. I am continually experiencing spiritual vitality by the grace of God. And that is the life of every Christian. Lastly, Christians have joy because, okay, first, Christians have joy because we know our purpose. Christians have joy because we know that in Christ we have a new home. Christians have joy because in Christ we know we have life. Number four, last thing, and shortly, Christians have joy because God continuously feeds on us. Feed us. Not feeds on us. God continually feeds us. Oh, that's, that's wrong. God continually feeds us. Verse 12. After meeting with Pharaoh, Joseph, it says, Joseph brings all his family to Goshen, and he feeds them. He provides food for them. Important to know, everywhere in that region, people are starving with famine. But for God's chosen people, through Joseph, God is feeding them. Genesis chapter 6, there was a long list of everyone that belonged to Jacob's family. That list is significant because that list of 70 are the chosen people of God during this time. The chosen people of God during, in Genesis chapter 47 were the direct descendants of Jacob, those 70 people. Those people of God, through Joseph, God is feeding them in a world filled with starvation. Where am I going with this? That's exactly what he does to us. Right now in the world, there is spiritual starvation. There's spiritual starvation in the world. In America, we are the richest country in the history of humanity. It's true. We are the richest country in the history of humanity. There is no other nation by far that more people are wealthy and comfortable than the U.S. That's true. That's historically true. But our country is filled with opium addictions, suicides, political economic divisions, right? It is the number of young people harming themselves and killing themselves. It's at an epidemic level. Because despite our wealth, people are spiritually starving. People are so starving spiritually, they'll listen to anything that tries to make them feel alive. They think women, women can be a man and men can, they say men can give birth to babies. 
It's preposterous, it's silly, but they need to believe it because they need to have some form of truth in their lives. It's because people are spiritually starving. But among the starving people, God feeds his people spiritually. He nourishes people in the world full of starvation. He nourishes his people through the truth. He's constantly feeding you food to make you sane, to make you healthy, to make you live. Consider attending Sundays. Consider God giving you the Bible. Consider God giving you his Holy Spirit so that he could feed you. All these are means to feed you because he doesn't want his children to starve. He will feed his children. Are you purposely starving yourself? That's the question, right? It's not he doesn't feed. The issue is, are we purposely not eating? Are you being fed? Is God feeding you? He wants to. He will. You just have to open your mouth. What are practically the best way to being fed? There are so many different ways. One of the ways is, look, pick a passage of the Bible and start memorizing it. Memorize it. Walk with it. Memorize it. I promise you, when you start memorizing Scripture and, and just let it chew on Scripture, that chewing of Scripture will provide so much spiritual insights that you feel fed. Walk with God in prayer. Prayer is not asking God for things. Please don't think prayer is asking God for things. Prayer is a dialogue with God, telling God of who he is, telling God of who you are, telling God of what you think the world is based on his word. Have a conversation with God. He will feed you. Take notes in this sermon. I didn't prepare 10 hours so I could like, preach for 50 minutes and for you to forget no feed on it remember it he will feed you when he when you when you eat you'll be stronger when you eat of him you will find when you eat from him you will find joy you really will how do i know every small group that i attend we end up being so full right whether it is what do we call our small group kids the online virtual group, whether it's the online virtual group or whether it's the online small group, I promise you, every after, aftermath of every small group, I, we feel so, so full and fed. He does that constantly to you. And when you eat from him, you will be filled and filled with joy. In Christ, when you walk with him, you know your purpose, you know your home, you know your life, and you're being fed. These are the things that give your life joy. These are the secrets to joy. He will give to his people when you dwell with him. Let's pray.